0: But about how, what, and why we believe as we do, a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe, those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to ProvocativeEnlightenment.com forward slash chat. We do have a great chat room. And, Ravinder, I know you love sharing it with everyone every week, so please tell us all about it.
1: It's a good chat room because we have a great group of people and we have some excellent conversation that goes on there. And um, I like learning from different people and getting different perspectives. Uh, Yeah, it's all part of the growth process. So do come join us in the chat room and do some growing yourself. That is ProvocativeEnlightenment.com forward slash chat.
0: All right, in this week's Spotlight, I wish to discuss the power of perception. We live in a wonderful world, if we choose to see it that way. Let me flesh that out some. I was enjoying myself last evening while contemplating on life and the many experiences it has delivered to me. I reflected on several different occasions where perception defined the experience. Living into ourselves often teaches us that Our experiences are as we define them, according to our expectation, which shapes our perception. Let me give you an example. One summer evening, not long ago, my youngest son, wife, and I were cruising in our freshly restored 1969 Impala SS convertible. When suddenly there was no power, the car just halted in its tracks, shorted out. I smiled, don't ask me why. And almost immediately there appeared another 1969 Impala convertible. I mean, what are the chances? And for you car buffs, a red 427, but not the SS package. The driver very nicely offered to provide a jump start, and we tried, but to no avail. We thanked him and decided to call a wrecker. However, we were stuck in the middle of the street at a light. Not the safest place to break down. Just then, four lovely people, three men and a woman, ran to the car from the sidewalk and offered to help push us out of the street. Again, I smiled and thanked them. The tow truck arrived in less than five minutes, and the driver, against the rules, very nicely agreed to provide us a ride to my friend's home where the car would be repaired. WE HAD A GREAT CONVERSATION AND SOME LAUGHS DURING THE JOURNEY WITH THE FOUR OF US IN THE FRONT OF THE FOUR BY FOUR RIG, MY PRETTY BRIDE, RIDING ON MY LAP. THEN THE TAXI HOME. WE EXPECTED A LONG WAIT, BUT THE TAXI ACTUALLY ARRIVED BEFORE I FINISHED BUSINESS WITH THE DRIVER OF THE TOW RIG. THE ride HOME WAS EQUALLY PLEASANT AND PERHAPS EVEN MORE REWARDING. THE DRIVER WAS A BIBLE TEACHER who had studied the ancient scripts and we delighted in a terrific exchange of information and ideas. I have often taught that the world is about perception. Reality is something we define in our minds. Think of the wonderful lesson my son had that evening while we all laughed and made an adventure out of the entire matter. In a different frame of mind, the situation could have easily been nasty. And I have known some of those frames of mind where you look at a situation with grief, with anger, with how come, and so forth. Again, the frame of mind, our perception, changes everything. As it turned out, the adventure led to meeting wonderful people and sharing great conversations. And you know... I'd take that again over just driving under the stars, something I really find pleasant, all by its lonesome. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder?
1: That was a really interesting evening, as you said. It could have been bad because we could all have been cranky and irritable because you're just stuck there in the middle of traffic. But no, like it was like the gods were taking care of us. We were just surrounded by nice people. I mean, what is the what is the chance of you know being stranded in your impala and another impala pulls up to help us
0: another collector the only other one in the area that we know about in two states so i mean it's like you know
1: exactly and there you there we were you know not in not the worst part of town but not the best part of town either and then you're trying to figure out what to do with the car and these three people just run up and help us out and then you know I'm on my phone trying to find a tow truck and you know all of that happened so easily and that was my first time using uber as well I didn't you know hadn't used it before but with a few clicks on my phone and away I mean they were they were there they were but there, it was quick, it was easy. everyone was nice. We had a laugh sitting on your lap in front of the tow truck. yeah, that was kind of tight, but that was fun too. it was it was just it was it was fun and it could easily have been you know cranky and irritable and you know getting upset with each other, but it wasn't it was just cool and that frame of mind changes everything.
0: See and you can reframe the story and you okay, so you die right in the middle of an intersection. <laughs> And you're getting out of the car and you've got the hood up and cars are honking at you and it's a warm night and, you know, you're getting frustrated and uh, you can't find the problem and, and along comes somebody and, and they offer to, to to jump you. Well, that's kind of nice, but the jump doesn't work. And now all that money you've spent, everything you've done and the car is still stuck there and and you're going to have to push it. And we did have to push it quite a ways to get it out of the street and off the road and So the minute you changed your frame of mind, you wouldn't begin to see this as such a wonderful experience. These Mm -hmm. people were all there to help. You know, how long did it take those people to get there? Well, I don't know. But because our perception was, well, let's make it an adventure. An
1: adventure. That's it. Exactly. We made it an adventure and it it was fun.
0: Everything changed. It's all about perception. Okay. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Our last show featured Professor Lisa Feldman Barrett, and we discussed her work and book, How Emotions Are Made. Jack wrote, Great show, but I don't buy the idea that all emotions are made. It seems that we are hardwired for many. Sarah wrote, Who made that remark that you asked Lisa that led to her dismissal as wholly wrong? Well, the author is Jay Hosking, and he made the statement in writing a review of her book. You can find his comments and criticisms together with many others online. Not everyone accepts the idea that emotions are a construct of the brain created by the brain, and none of which are universal, as Barrett argues. Indeed, I found her dismissal of his remarks uh, with a, some, you know, the statement that Whoever wrote that has not read any journals lately to be somewhat unconvincing and and just a little bit, what should I say, a little bit um, flagrant. Moving on, Richard had this to say about last week's spotlight and my comments regarding those who would dismiss the possibility of a biological basis underlying consciousness on the grounds of so-called epiphenomena. Ha! You go, Eldon. Epiphenomena, emergent properties, are all over the place in nature. Who knows what's possible? CB added this, I'll bet programmers can get AI to ignore as errors any epiphenomena. Considering how much resistance there is to consciousness exploration, I'll bet there are those who wish that epiphenomena could be removed from humans. And Gary added this, I enjoy your spotlight thoughts every week, and this one really resonated with me. Just wanted to thank you again for sharing and everything you do. Finally, Fawn wrote, I've been using and recommending your intertox subliminal programs for many years. Your messages have been of great help to me. Thank you for this valuable tool. Well, you're more than welcome, Fawn. Thank you for your feedback. All right, that's all I kind time that we're going to take for Letters a Day, but I do invite you to opine by emailing me at eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. We sincerely do appreciate your comments, letters, and feedback. Now to this week's show, Island of Genius, The Bountiful Mind. Not long ago, we hosted Jason Pageant, and acquired Savin who, following an attack by two men, experienced a serious blow to the head. And when he awoke in the hospital, he was a mathematical genius who saw the world through the lens of geometry. Think about that for a moment. Where does this genius reside? I mean, is it already somewhere in the brain? Are are, are we hardwired with so much more information about the universe that we just have not been able to tap into, uh, but it's there. I mean, forget, you know, the idea of a tabula rasa, the so-called blank slate. We actually are, are, are hardwired with all this information. Or, or does it come from some field of intelligence out there, um, a, a kind of or form of collective unconscious that Jung referred to? There are all sorts of savants in the world, mathematicians, musicians, and more, So where is this information that they suddenly tap into? And is it possible, possible for the normal human being, you and I, to tap into it as well? Well, our guest today has studied this unusual state of mind for years, so we'll ask him about this and much more. But first, let me tell you a little about him. Dr. Daryl Trefford. Received his medical degree and psychiatric residency training at the University of Wisconsin Medical School. His first position was setting up a children's unit at Winnebago Mental Health Institute in Winnebago, Wisconsin. He was a clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Wisconsin Medical School, Department of Psychiatry, for many years. He has written extensively in the professional literature. On the rights of the mentally ill, stress management, autism, and savant syndrome. He has written two books on savant syndrome, extraordinary people, understanding savant syndrome, and Islands of Genius, the bountiful mind of the autistic, acquired, and sudden savant. In 2016, Agnesia Healthcare, St. Agnes Hospital, established the Trefford Center to preserve and expand Dr. Treffert's work with Savant Syndrome and other forms of exceptional brain performance. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Darrell A. Treffert.
2: Well, thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, it's. An, I'm excited. I, I, that's all I can say. I'm very glad that you um, chose to join us today. I love your work. I love your books. And this is an area that I I find so, so fascinating. It then Let me ask you this. We like to know three things on the show, Professor Trefford. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And, of course, how do we use it? So to, to begin with, why did you become a doctor? And what in your life inspired you to study autistic, acquired, and sudden savants?
2: Well, I always wanted to be a doctor uh, from little on. I don't know why, but I just, uh, I had, that in my mind, and I never deviated from it, and um, ended up uh, going to medical school. Um, uh, I think uh, one I was inspired a little bit by my dad, who was my dad was just a machinist in a in a tool die company here, and he uh, rose through the ranks, and he was destined to be the the next manager of this uh, particular company or the, the the floor of this particular company. And uh, they called him in and said, "Wally, we'd really like to. You're, you're you're the perfect person for this position, but you've only got an eighth grade education, and we can't have somebody with an eighth grade education in that spot." And he came home that night and he said, "Daryl, he said, You get that piece of paper, you get that certificate, because that's going to be the key to to your future.'" And so that that inspired me to um, put up with so to call with uh, with medical school, but. <laughs> Uh, like a lot of things in life, um, just happen. Uh, like you, you just described your event last night when the car happened to come by and so forth. And, um, it, it, it just so happened that when I finished my residency, I was given the responsibility of starting a children's unit at a mental hospital here in Wisconsin. Uh, they had 800 adults and, uh, uh, 25 of those were under 18 and we put them together in the children's unit and uh, i um, uh, was uh, amazed uh, at their um, well first of all some of their impairments but but uh, three of those individuals caught my eye particularly <clears throat> one little guy had memorized the bus system of the city of milwaukee and a few told them the time of day in the He'd tell you what corner that bus is going by. The wow. second little guy uh, was mute, but you could put a 250-piece jigsaw puzzle in front of him, a picture side down, and and he would put it together just for the geometric shapes. And the third little guy was an expert beautiful. on what happened in this day in history. And every morning I'd come on the unit. Dr. Trevor. Do you know what happened in this day in history? I try to bone up the night before. And that was in the in the encyclopedia. There was no oh, Google, but I I could never um, 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 match his, his interest. So I got interested in a situation in which people with severe.
0: We should probably define some of the terms that we're going to be using today, uh, Professor. Uh, so I, I would ask you uh, to share some of your thoughts as you use them in the bountiful mind, by way of uh, defining autistic, acquired, and sudden savant conditions.
2: Okay. Um, <clears throat> autistic savant um, are, or or what I call congenital savants. These are individuals who. Often have autism or, but may have other uh, developmental disabilities, and um, have this uh, island of genius uh, or uh, savant abilities. Uh, and and that, that they're evident in childhood, and they usually emerge in the uh, early years of childhood. Uh, the acquired savant uh, are individuals, and, and these are, I've only encountered this within the last 10 or 12 years, uh, all the, the savants i had seen before that work, congenital savants, the acquired savants, are ordinary persons who have a head injury or a stroke or dementia. And as the condition uh, proceeds in the case of dementia or is static in the case of uh, brain injury, uh, which emerges in which they had no interest. had no interest in
0: when you describe the sudden savant, it, uh, I, I wonder how many people in in history, I mean, we go back a few hundred years to think about this, but how many people uh, awakened to sudden savant uh, to find themselves charged with witchcraft or possession or some other, you know, violation of church doctrine? Uh, but let me ask you this, sir. But, yeah. What I don't <laughs> think... Just pick up
2: on that for a moment. Um, sure. One of the things that's happened, one of the the values of my book have been to people who are sudden savants, and they're reluctant to tell anybody about it because people are going to say you're crazy or you're losing your mind or you're boasting or whatever. And so they, they, they tend to, hide, when they find out I'm not the only one,
0: That I'm sure it is. It is. And and, and I think well, I, I, I don't know. I'll ask you this later in the show about whether it's a blessing or a curse. But to me, it would seem like, well, you can visit me in the middle of the night, whatever it is. I'd love to be a sudden savant. But but what I where I wanted to go is I think very few people realize that there are states of dementia where savant syndrome manifests. Flesh that out for us. Give us an example, if you will, please.
2: Uh, there's a uh, a woman um, uh, who was in her 80s. Um, she developed a, a, a frontotemporal dementia, which is somewhat different than Alzheimer's. It's a dementia, but it, it Alzheimer's is a generalized process. Frontotemporal dementia is a very uh, localized process, usually in the frontal lobe. And as her uh, frontal dementia proceeded, she began to to draw and, and to paint, actually. And striking uh, paintings uh, that uh, have uh, come forth. Uh, of course, um, the dementia eventually you know, took her life, but in the meantime, uh, her, her family or anyone that knew her. find that entirely fascinating. Now,
0: I think most people are aware that um, often autism is accompanied by special abilities. But uh, I have to ask this. Is autism becoming uh, more prevalent, more even epidemic, as so many say? Or is that... uh, is that just because we have different measurements today? And, and do you think, as you read everywhere on the Internet, that uh, vaccines have anything to do with the rise in autism?
2: Right. Well, in in terms of there, there does seem to be an increase in, in autism. In fact, when I was in my um, uh, at the children's unit in those early years, I did a study of the epidemiology of infantile autism in Wisconsin and was able to identify only 280 cases in the whole state. Um, and um, now uh, it's, it's more prevalent, but it is not an epidemic. Uh, there, there, there is an actual increase, but it's not at an, an epidemic level. And also there is an increase in childhood uh, uh, abnormalities, congenital defects in general. Um, Partly because I think uh, we're able to keep premature infants uh, alive that we formerly were not, and and that often carries the risk of learning disorders or autism. So there is an increase, but it's not at an epidemic level. All right. When
0: we come back, we've got a break. Uh, sure. that I have to get out of here for uh, Professor Trefford. But when we come back, I, I, I want to know if you see any correlation between the vaccines and autism like we hear everybody talking about. Sure. We're speaking with Professor Daryl Trefford about his life, work and book. Islands of Genius. It is a great read. It is a fascinating read and the potential that is is opened up and unveiled in this book you're going to want to read about. You can learn more about our guest and his work by visiting his website at Daryl Treffert. That's D-A-R-O-L-D T-R-E-F-F-E-R-T dot com. Now we have a video for you in our chat room featuring our guest discussing savant syndrome and the art of And the art of prodigious savants. So if you're not in the chat room already, get on over there. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back.
3: You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. A silent battle has been raging for the territory of your mind. Like a virulent virus, the effects are spreading. In Gotcha, Eldon Taylor explores the 24-7 bombardment of information designed to manage your thinking. He demonstrates how new sound bites are championed into personal awareness, becoming memes of the culture. And this results in framing and reframing classical positions, causing adjustments to personal values and history itself. Your every decision process is being managed and manipulated. Gotcha exposes the arrival of the Orwellian age in full-blown technicolor. In laying bare the current uses of the many sophisticated techniques, Eldon reveals what it is we need to do in order to avoid allowing others to puppet our thoughts. For details, go to eldontaylor.com backslash gotcha.
0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Professor Daryl Trefford about his life, work and book, Islands of Genius. You can learn more about our guest and his work by visiting his website at daryltreffert.com. Now we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some true significance to them. Music psychology is a hobby of mind and a field of research with practical relevance in many areas including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. Okay, we just played some of Have You Never Been Mellow by Olivia Newton-Johns. So tell us, Professor, why is this music important to you, and how does it inform us about who you are?
2: Well, I um, have listened to patients now for many, many years, and um, everything we know about, Uh, health we've learned from the study of illness and the same is true in in mental health and so as I listen to the patients uh, all these years I uh, have uh, heard what they have to say in terms of you know how they got into the predicament that they did and 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 I guess also the way out and so I have put together a book that's called mellowing and um uh, lessons from listening, and, and it's uh, put together uh, from what I've heard all these years as to what, what might be a prescription for good mental health. And I like the word, my, my definition of good mental health is being mellow, and mellow means um, relaxed, at ease, and pleasantly convivial. If you look it up in the dictionary it all.
0: Before the break, sir, I uh, suggested to you that uh, many people blame vaccines for the increase in autism. Is there any real connection or is this, you know, the underground world of conspiracies?
2: Well, I think originally, uh, if we go back uh, eight or ten years, um, at that time, the vaccines contained thimerosal, which is mercuricum, as a preservative. And the thinking was that it was that uh, mercury, which was uh, in the vaccines, which was causing autism, mm-hmm. and there was quite a a scare uh, about that. And I think that the first of all, thimerosal is no longer in vaccines, uh, and um, so I, I think the connection between vaccines and thimerosal is uh, uh, is is not a valid one, and that's not even pertinent now because there. Are, but the question, I think, has uh, uh, become whether the the frequency with which one gives vaccines now uh, to, I forgot what the number is by the time the child was 18 months, but it's uh, you know, a huge number, that in some children, it may be overwhelming the immune system, and that may be the The link if there is one between autism and vaccines, but uh, I think the original scare with the Marisol and and the the number that people were concerned about, I think that's been uh, pretty well. uh, I think what you'll find with pediatricians now is that they are encouraging parents to vaccinate their children, but they have narrowed this, or or they've made the schedule um, less drastic, and uh, to the extent that there is a connection, there may be some immunologic uh, relationship in, in in your
0: work um, I mean would you say that the growth of uh, of autism would be a constant rate with or without uh, uh, vaccines? I mean you know obviously maybe in this instance or that instance because of the variability of human physiology and and uh, the immune system, et cetera, it could contribute. but would we see essentially the same growth in autism? And if so, what do you think is the underlying reason for that?
2: Well, I think the um, I think there, the underlying reason for there are genetic components to autism, but you don't see that genetic um, uh, rise. Um, in a short period of time, as we've seen in the last um, 30 or 40 years. So there's some other environmental uh, effects at work. And I think that uh, those environmental effects, um, uh, it it may be um, uh, PVC's, it may be um, some other um, contaminants um, that... uh, are being ingested either by women uh during the pregnancy prenatal or uh by children, and I think we need to find out what that what those environmental factors are the other thing as I mentioned earlier that the incidence of congenital abnormalities overall is rising, not just autism and I think we need to look for environmental factors uh uh, and they you know, the searches on whether those are in the water, whether those are in the soil, whether those are in the air. Uh, my own feeling is that um, it, uh, it, it may uh, boil down to some of the the uh, plastics and their and their alternate and, and their derivatives.
0: Interesting, interesting. All right, sir. You heard uh, your setup, your introduction. I I have to ask you, where do you think these seven abilities come from? I mean, are we all equipped somewhere, somehow, an organ brain with information that's just not tapped into? Uh, Or is the information, you know... um, is this something we're sourcing from outside like a collective unconscious? I mean what is your theory about where all this ability resides right
2: well, when I was in uh in psychiatric training when when we talked about collective unconscious, I was less than enthused. that sounded a pretty soft science to me and i'm um pretty traditional scientist, but one of the things that I've noted. In savants, whether they're congenital savants or acquired savants or sudden savants, is that these people know things they never learned. And the, the, the pressing question for me, uh, there's no question in my mind, but that, for example, some children um, who have never been exposed to it will end up reciting the periodic table or um have a, a mass of uh, information about geography and never having studied the globe and the question is um where does that come from uh, and the, the the main question is well okay where does that come from it, from my standpoint it 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 is a uh, from it, it's a genetic transfer of knowledge you know we tend to, we we're, we're quite content with uh, that genetics has something to do with how tall we are, the color of our eyes, or the color of our hairs. Sure. Uh, but uh, my feeling is that um, the savant abilities um, sometimes at prodigious levels are uh, <clears throat> uh, a, a, a genetic phenomenon, but it's the genetic transmission of knowledge. Now that, that incites all sorts of Uh, Furious arguments about nature and nurture, because I'm talking about nature as opposed to nurture. The savant doesn't learn; the savant can learn and expand on the abilities, but the basic abilities are there. How do they get there? They get there through um, this genetic transfer of knowledge. And uh, many, I think, in the past, people, many people have thought we sort of start with a blank disk. We're born. And we become what, our, what we le- what we experience or what we learn uh, 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 determines uh, you know who we are. And I'm saying, and not just myself, but others, is that the brain comes loaded, um, uh, factory installed software of all sorts. Uh, in varying degrees, we don't we're not all little Mozart's or, or uh, Michelangelos, but but we but we start with this um, infusion of Software. Uh, the question is, well, okay, why? Why is you know why if that's there, why don't we use it? Well, we don't use it because it would crash, just like a computer. If you you know clicked all the keys at once, it would crash. And I think it's there as a reserve uh, uh, function. And I rem- uh,
0: go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: And and to me, it is there by the uh, as I said, the genomic transfer of knowledge. However.
0: Is after all a field of information, it's all information. But yes, uh, I remember years ago reading uh, Dockings, um, Richard Docking's Selfish Genes, Selfish Means. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Wh- what you're really suggesting, if, if I've got this right, is that uh, the memories, the learning of our prior generations, pass genetically just as the, our eye collar does. And so somewhere in that brain program, much of this information may well reside. Did I get that correct?
2: Yes. Yeah. And as we, for example, with some of the savants, uh, as we've been able to trace back their family history, um, you will find that uh, it may not just be the parents, but it may be a cousin or it may be an aunt or an uncle, and somebody will remember. You know, I remember that somebody talked about Uncle Harry was once a professor somewhere or other. And you know, and so um, uh, it's 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 handed down not necessarily directly from a parent to child, but but, but the extended uh, family and uh, this uh, this knowledge. Um, and yes, that's as you described it. That's what that's where I am in my thinking about
0: it. Has anyone, uh, Professor, looked at, uh, uh, you know, the genealogy of uh, the savants to determine, I mean, if if this is genetic, is the savant propensity, is that also genetic?
2: Well, there have been a, a couple of studies that have looked for the savant gene. Um and one study indicated that they had found one area on chromosome whatever uh which which tend to be uh, uh present in in the savants. Uh, other people trying to replicate that study. for example.
0: is the empirical models that uh, as scientists you we deal with i mean uh, telepathy would argue that uh, you know brain organ brain maybe is not uh, responsible for mind mind stuff is something yeah. other than the artifact of organ brain and emergent property i don't know where where do you go with that
2: well i th- i think when oh, oh. Wilder Penfield, who was a neurologist of some repute years ago, and probably the world's finest um, neurologist, uh, right. uh, when he when he came to the end of his life, he had to answer the question: Is the is is the the mind bigger than the brain? <laughs> yeah. And he came to the conclusion that it is that that the brain marvelous as it is, and and it, and it indeed it is it's simply. Astounding, but uh, probably there's the mind is, is is bigger than the brain. So those are all questions I'm sort of struggling with after all of these all of these years.
0: That's what living is all about, though. What a great mystery it is,
2: huh? Yeah, and I I, I guess one other question that that faces me I think uh, or faces um, in trying to. Um, uh, Understand the the brain, and and uh, is that I think the brain can probably uh, understand the the liver and the heart, and ultimately the 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 kidneys can sort of uh, lead us to an understanding of those organs. The question is, can the brain transcend itself to understand itself, or is there an innate barrier between? The brain transcending and understanding itself, and I, I think there there probably is, um, but um, that uh, you know the brain is uh, surrounded in this really the bony skull it's it's well protected uh, and uh, it's so well protected that we can't scope it like other organs and we can't conveniently biopsy it like other organs and so it's sort of the last. <laughs> Um, secret frontier, and uh, and that's what makes this time so so challenging in, in neuroscience.
0: Yeah, a lot of the new technology, I think, fMRI, etc., is giving us some, well, giving us many insights that are, are, are promising at, at the very least, but I agree with you. It is the ultimate frontier. Yeah. How common is savant syndrome, Professor?
2: Well, about uh, about one out of ten persons with autism um, uh, has some abilities. Some people say it's more than that, but my experience is still with autistic kids. About uh, one out of ten. So, one uh, to the extent there are autistic uh, individuals out there, about one out of ten have some odd abilities. Although it does occur in other conditions as well, including uh, dementia, as I said, and and. A traumatic brain injury but the uh, uh i'm convinced that that there is a little rain man within each of us and the challenge is uh, how how can we tap that without having a head injury or a stroke or a central nervous system incident and that's where a lot of my work is uh, sort of concentrating on at the present time i think we can on um, can we make ourselves smarter i think we can uh, sometimes, in the future, some of it will be electronic. We know, for example, that we can put part of the brain uh, to sleep with electrodes, uh, and some, some abilities emerge in ordinary people. Uh, pharmacologically, we know that the amphetamines uh, can increase a short-term memory, but we know that there are problems with that, and cognitive approaches uh, Learning how to draw, teaching executives how to draw better—not because you want to make them artists, but you want them to be more creative or, or tap into that seeing the uh, the bigger vision—and then finally, um, just um, uh, meditation and other and hypnosis, other approaches to uh, to, to consciousness. I think um, uh, my my view is that we all have these repository of of, of skills. Uh, The question is how to to tap those, and uh, I think, uh, you know, years ago, one didn't hear about heart pacemakers, but I think we'll end up having brain pacemakers um, for, already we do for Parkinson's disease and others, but there's so many ramifications, and the the biggest message I think I've had out of this whole thing is the... the, uh, the brain potential. There's a, a condition called the Nandy Walker syndrome in which uh, a gentleman uh, developed a twitch in his right leg. Uh, he went to the doctor and it didn't go away. So they they snapped a picture, and he has 10 percent of cortical function. The other 90 percent is cerebral spinal fluid, which is supposed to be cortex. Right. He's married. Yes. He has a job.
0: I'm sorry to cut you off, Professor. I'd yeah. love to have you okay. back to the show, but we are just out of time. For, uh, the okay. book is Islands of Genius, The Bountiful Mind of the Autistic, Acquired, and Sudden Savant by Professor Darrell A. Trefford, T-R-E-F-F-E-R-T, and I tell you, you're going to want to read this show. I want to thank you, Professor, for your willingness to uh, share your work with us today, and and for the body of work you have contributed that advances our understanding. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and will join us again next week, same time and same place, and do tell your friends. Until then, remember, wherever you are in the world, believing in yourself always matters.